What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. This past week, I thought to myself, I wonder who the most famous preacher in all the world is today. So I did what we do best in this culture. I got out my smartphone and I went to Google and I asked Google, who is the most famous preacher in all the world alive today? And it might surprise you because it's not who you think it is. There's a guy by the name of Kenneth Copeland that you might have heard of. And he is allegedly the most popular pastor in the world. And in fact, is the first in the line of lists of the most powerful and most influential pastors of our day. Now, I want you to know that Kenneth Copeland has written over 50 books. He has released at least five studio albums, and he has been involved in many television shows and broadcasts really all over the world and movies, and he claims to have brought 122 million people to Jesus Christ. One uh, source says this, Kenneth Copeland is very close to being a billionaire even though he already claims billion-dollar status. He runs Kenneth Copeland Ministries, and he prides himself of giving 500 people a job through his ministry. His monthly, excuse me, his ministry's 1,500-acre campus is a half-an-hour drive from Fort Worth, Texas, and it includes the church there, a private airstrip, a hangar for the ministry's $17.5 million jet, and other aircrafts, and to top it all off, a $6 million church-owned lakefront mansion used as a parsonage. Sources say that his estimated net worth goes as high as $760 million. You know, it might sound good that he has this ministry and he's giving a job to 500 million people. It might sound good that he's written over 50 books. It might sound good that he has released at least five studio albums. It might sound good that he is the most powerful, most influential pastor of our day. But I want you to know this, that in our day, he is the greatest false prophet our world has seen. Because what, what he does is if you, if you just go online and listen to any of his sermons, he does not actually expose the meaning of Scripture. In fact, what he does is he does what false prophets do. They prey on people's weaknesses, and he preys on two weaknesses. Number one, physical illness, and number two, financial poverty. And what he does is he begins to preach a message that is called prosperity gospel. And in other words, he begins to preach and he goes all over the world, holds all these crusades and he he gathers all these people in and he does all of these faith healing and this idea that if, if you're not rich, you're not right with God. And I want you to know this, that we believe that God wants his believers to prosper, but it's not in the way that they preach prosperity. Obviously, we know that God wants us to be in good health, but we know that not everybody is gonna be blessed with good health. 
And we know that not everybody is going to be rich. John the Baptist was the greatest preacher the world has ever known apart from Jesus Christ, and he was not rich. Jesus Christ is the greatest preacher and the greatest prophet the world has ever known. And in fact, I, I dare say I have more money than he ever had while he was alive on the earth. And I share that with you to remind you that in Matthew chapter 7, the Bible speaks about Jesus warning the world that there will come prophets who will, who will, who will come into the sheepfolds, but they will be wolves in sheep's clothing. And then Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24, a parallel passage to the book of Revelation in chapter 24 and verse number 24, he speaks about in the last days, false Christ will arise, false messiahs, and the greatest false messiah is the Antichrist that John writes earlier in the book of Revelation chapter 13. But then he speaks about false prophets and many false prophets will rise and we've seen many of them. And the greatest one we know of our day, at least in my mind, is Kenneth Copeland. And he says that these false prophets will rise and they'll show great signs and wonders. They'll do great things, maybe even claiming to heal those who are sick. And then it goes on to say that in so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive even the very elect. Time doesn't allow me to get into that word elect, but it just simply means God-chosen people. And so these false prophets are going to arise and be influenced by the power of darkness and Satan himself. And they're to try to deceive the people of God. And now I say all that to say this that Kenneth Copeland might be the greatest false prophet of the church that we've seen today, but he is not the greatest false prophet of all time. In fact, I know that the, the tendency for false prophets is, is one word, and if we could really summarize verses 11 through 18 today, it's this one word, deception. Would you say that with me? Deception. And today the title of my sermon is this, the greatest deception the world has ever seen. It's not found on Trinity Broadcasting Network through some of these falsified pseudo-preachers or not on YouTube or all over the world, but it's going to be found in the tribulation period when after the Antichrist comes on the scene, another one will arise called the false prophet. And we know that in this chapter, he's not called the false prophet, but in chapter 16 and chapter 19 and chapter 20, the Bible describes him as the false prophet. So we see that the, the, the Holy Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. All are one. One God made up of in three personages. And we see now the unholy Trinity being manifested in the tribulation period. And that is Satan, which is a, a, a falsified view of God the Father. The Antichrist, which is a falsified view of God the Son. And then the false prophet, which is the falsified view of the Holy Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit comes to indwell believers to open our eyes and teach us God's word. And so we see the false prophet is going to come on the scene and he is going to have a speech and a sermon that will woo this world to worship the antichrist and receive his mark so here's the summarization statement for today's message really the section of the passage it's a little lengthy so listen carefully the greatest deception the world has ever seen will be led by the false prophet in the tribulation period who will convince the world to worship the Antichrist and receive his mark. Did you catch that? Let me say it again. The greatest deception the world has ever seen will be led by the false prophet in the tribulation period who will convince the world to worship the Antichrist 
and receive his mark. As we come to this passage today, I want to ask and answer this question. What are the warning signs of the false prophet's great deception? What are the warning signs of the false prophet's great deception? I believe that the principles I'm going to share with you today are really principles that really could be applied to, to any false teacher or any false preacher or any false prophet in our day and previous generations or generations to come, but specifically in the great tribulation period to come. And today I really have three thoughts I want to share with you, three warning signs. So as we're driving down this road of the apocalypse and as we're looking into the future, one of the warning signs to remind us of the deception of the false prophet. Well, the first one is found in verse number 11. And it's this thought. Warning sign number one. The false prophet will use communication to deceive the world. The false prophet will use communication to deceive the world. Look at verse number one. The Bible says, and I beheld another beast, John is writing, and he's looking out on this apocalyptic vision that God gives to him on the island of Patmos. He's looking out, and remember, he just saw the first beast come out of the sea, and now this second beast is coming up out of the earth. And the Bible says that this beast, the second beast, had two horns like a lamb. This gives this idea that a lamb comes with meekness, and that this this false prophet, this second beast is going to come on the scene meek and lowly like a lamb, very subtle, not, 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 not busting through the doorway like the Antichrist and, and just demanding everybody to, to serve him in his kingdom. But this guy's going to come on the scene and he's going to be subtle, deceptive, and meek and lowly like a lamb. But then it says that he spake like or as a dragon. I want to draw your attention to this word spake in verse number 11. This word, it, it just gives this meaning of talking to utter words. It means to tell, but it also can mean to preach. And so we know that every false preacher, every false teacher, and every false prophet of God's word brings a message and declares it with urgency like a true preacher would preach. But I want you to understand this. As we think about this word spake, it gives this idea that the false prophet will preach an impressive, deceptive message. Maybe you've been to a service of people like Kenneth Copeland. Thousands of people present. And, and the person speaking had the oratory ability to just woo you a new one and just to lock you in and you just you'd never daydreamed at all in the message i mean he had you in the palm of his hands well i want you to know this that this guy this false prophet is going to have the most impressive speeches and sermons the world has ever seen i mean if you think billy graham had a great message which he did, but you will not understand, you don't understand, we don't understand like the power that Satan has, and the Bible says he's going to be speaking as the dragon, in other words, that we know behind the message is another messenger, Satan, giving him the words, giving him the ability to speak in such a way to woo this world 
to action. It will be impressive. But he will preach not just an impressive deceptive message, but he will preach a persuasive deceptive message. Have you ever watched a movie or, or seen a television show or, or heard a radio program and you left spellbound? You were just thoroughly impressed? But then after you heard that speech or maybe you heard that sermon, it moved you to action. Well, that's the capability that this, this speaker, this false prophet's going to have. Notice it's interesting. In, in verse number 14, the Bible says it uses the word deceives. And in fact, in verse number 12, the Bible uses, that, uses the word causes. In other words, that, that these people are going to be so impressed with the message that they have heard that it will move them to action. The same word is used again in verse number 16, causes. So, so it speaks about here that in verse number 14, he deceives them in such a way with his miraculous powers. It will be impressive, but it will be persuasive because to match the message will be the miraculous things that he's going to be able to do. And then, and then it will move the people to worship the Antichrist and receive his mark. That's how persuasive this message is going to be. And every false prophet has that capability. Because behind every false prophet is the same dragon, the same serpent, the same devil fueling the fire. The false prophet will use communication to deceive the world. And in fact, if you want to know a parallel passage to understand chapter 13 of Revelation, you have to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Bible actually says, this, this is God's word, this is not my opinion, okay? This is, this is holy scripture. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 11, it says that God will send the people of that age strong delusion. That they, instead of believing the truth, they will believe a lie. So in other words, humanity is going to harden their hearts to God in such a way that God is going to give them over to a reprobate mind and God is going to give them over to their hardened hearts and he's going to send them strong delusion that even though he's, he's bringing the message of the gospel through the 144,000 evangelists, through the angel and through the two prophets, that, that even in the midst of all that, they're going to not be able to believe because of their hardened hearts. And so we see that, that these people of this age, they're going to they're gonna shake their fists up at God and just declare that they do not want anything to do with them. And so what they will do is they will run to the false prophet and they will run to the Antichrist because they will want to believe anything other than the truth of God's word and the true prophet, Jesus Christ. And so the false prophet will use communication to deceive the world. That is warning sign number one. But now may I share with you warning sign number two from verses 12 through 15. But before I do, remember the theme of these verses here is the greatest deception the world has ever seen will be led by the false prophet in the tribulation period who will convince the world to worship the Antichrist and receive his mark. Now that being said, we looked at the communication that he will use. But now let's look at verses 12 through 15. And secondly, the second warning sign 
It's not communication, but it's this. The false prophet will use unction to deceive the world. The false prophet will use unction to deceive the world. Yes, he will speak in such a way that will, hell, that will hold this world spellbound and move them to action and persuade them to do whatever he declares. But at the, at the helm of all of this, as we see written in Scripture here in verse number 12, that his power comes from the first beast. And the first beast's power ultimately comes from Satan. Look at verse number 12. The Bible says that he exercises all the power. Now, now I want you to understand this. And we're going to be walking through this chapter today. There's three times the word power is mentioned in our English Bible. But there's two Greek words that are used here in, in our Bible. And the first Greek word used here is here in verse number 12. And it gives this idea of power of authority. And so we see that he is given this power of authority of the first beast before him. So he's given this authoritative position to go out and speak, but we know ultimately that the power, that unction, if you will, comes from Satan. And the Bible says that he causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast. So he, we see that they're gonna bow down. And listen, like I said, this generation of people, this unbelieving, unregenerate, reprobate generation is going to shake their fists up at God and they're going to want to worship anything other than the true and living God. They're going to want to hear any message outside the message of the gospel and, and the word of God. And so they're going to worship the beast, the Antichrist. And we saw last time from the first 10 verses that as they're worshiping this false Antichrist, that in reality, they're worshiping Satan. And so if, if you're worshiping any other God today other than Jesus Christ, you're actually worshiping Satan. If you're serving any other God today outside of Jesus Christ and God Almighty, you are serving Satan himself. And here, it's so interesting that, that this Antichrist is going to be wounded in such a way that he'll be healed. Now, we believe this might correspond to later in the book of Revelation where whether the Antichrist actually physically dies and is brought back to life or it's a pseudo-resurrection, which I probably lean towards a, maybe a pseudo-resurrection, but still we're trying to work all that out. But nonetheless, what we see is whether it's an actual death, burial, and resurrection, we know that the Antichrist is seeking to mimic the life of Christ in every way, shape, and form. And so the Bible speaks about how his deadly wound was healed. He will be injured in such a way that people all over will might think he's dead, but then he will be healed. And so the false prophet is going to use this to fuel the flame of his message. And he will have power to deceive the world to worship the Antichrist. And he will maybe, in a sense, he'll be saying, hey, this is the true Messiah. He was injured, and now he is back. He was hurt, but now he is healed. And then in verse number 13 and 14, he will have power to do wonders on behalf of the Antichrist. Not only will he have power to deceive the world to worship the Antichrist, but he will have power to do wonders on behalf of the Antichrist. Look at verse number 13. It says, and he does great wonders. This literally means signs and miracles. 
Great signs and miracles and wonders will this false prophet be able to do. Now notice what verse 13 says. It reminds us of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. Where the Bible says that Elijah was on, he was on Mount Carmel and he prayed down fire from heaven and, and he destroyed the prophets of Baal. And we see that, 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 that it is very possible that this false prophet is going to come on the scene and he might even be using Malachi's words to fuel his flame. And he might even be saying that, hey, I am the prophet that was foretold by the prophet Malachi. And that'll deceive many of the Jewish people. Not all of them, but maybe some of them. And he'll be using miraculous wonders like the prophets of old. And the Bible says that this fire is going to, he's going to make fire come down from heaven onto the earth in the sight of all men. And then through all of these things, through the Antichrist being healed of whatever wound it was, through the fire coming down from heaven, the Bible says he's going to deceive. He's going to trick. He is going to fool all that dwell in the earth by those miracles, these great signs and wonders which he had. Now, check it out now. This word power is another word for power. Remember I share with you there's two Greek words for power. It's three times mentioned, three times power is mentioned in our English Bible here, but only two Greek words used for the word power. The first one is power of authority, but here this one in verse number 14 is power of ability. So not only is the false prophet given this power of authoritative position, but he's also given the power to accomplish these signs and wonders. And he will declare to all of them that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Remember, in Exodus chapter 7, Moses and Aaron walk into Pharaoh's palace. You remember that story? And Moses had his rod or staff and he threw that rod down on the ground and it turned into serpent or snakes and then in the book of exodus the bible doesn't mention the names but paul is writing in timothy and he writes about two individuals named janice and jambres and we believe that those were the magicians named back in the court of pharaoh's palace who also threw down rods and their rods turned to snakes but ultimately, Moses' rod had a greater victory because his snake swallowed up their snakes. <laughs> Reminding us that, that, that the greatest power, the greatest authority, and the greatest ability in all the world does not come from the power of darkness and the underworld and Satan, but from God's throne and glory in heaven. And we see ultimately, I have to share this with you. I know it's going to be hard to swallow, but it, it is actually true. That we know that, that this false prophet was given the power of ability and authority from the Antichrist. And the Antichrist was given this authority and ability from Satan. And ultimately, I know it's going to be hard to swallow, but ultimately Satan is given this power from God. But understand that it's limited. And that what is going to happen in the tribulation period is only what God allows to happen. But then the Antichrist is going to have this false prophet. And the false prophet is going to be preaching and, and teaching about the Antichrist. And he's going, to, he's going to woo all these people to be like, hey, you remember the Antichrist was injured. Now he's healed. And he marched into the temple as 2 
Thessalonians chapter 2 speaks about, and he declared himself to be God, and he, he's asking everybody to worship him. And listen, this guy was hurt, now he's healed, and we need to erect a, an image or a statue to where when the Antichrist is not here in this temple, we can still bow down and worship this image. This goes back to the book of Exodus chapter 20, where the Bible says not to make any graven images, not to worship any other gods. And the last part of verse number 14, it speaks about how he, that is the false prophet, will have power to give life to the image of the Antichrist. Now look at verse 15. We see that he convinces them to make this image. And now in verse number 15, the Bible says he has power to give life to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So what does this mean? Well, it is interesting that the word life here in our English Bible, when you go back and study in the Greek language, it is not the same word for life that God makes life and creates life. It is like breathing. So in other words, what, what we what, what seems to take, what, what, what most likely is going to take place is that Satan is going to have one of his demonic spirits possess this image and give the appearance that this statue or this image has life. We know Satan's able to do things like that. Now, some have speculated that it's going to be like a ventriloquist. <laughs> I can't imagine the false prophet having his arm in the back of that statue and doing the patriloquist act. <laughs> but maybe he will. Maybe he won't. Most likely, the, the, in, my, in my mind at least, the best explanation is that a demonic being is going to possess this statue and make it appear to have life. But it'll be pseudo-life. And then, in the last part of verse 15, we see that he will have power to kill all those who do not worship the Antichrist. This power is coming from the power of darkness, which is God is, is in his sovereign plan and, and his sovereign providential purposes is allowing this to take place because one day at the end of all of this, he's gonna reveal to the false prophet, to the Antichrist and Satan himself that he is the highest authority and he is the one who has the greatest ability. And that leads us to verses 16, 17, and 18. Probably the verses that you've been most excited about to study in the book of Revelation as we come to the mark of the beast. But I remind you that the false prophet will use, first of all, communication to deceive the world. And second of all, the false prophet will use unction to deceive the world. But what's the third warning sign? As we're looking at, and as we're thinking about this, the communicative powers of false prophet and, and the power itself of the false prophet, we know that, that he's going to have all these things. But what is the third mark and third warning sign of this coming great deception and false prophet? Well, from verse 16, 17, and 18, here's a third thought I want to share with you. The false prophet will use identification to deceive the world. The false prophet will use identification to deceive the world. Now remember, the greatest deception the world has ever seen will be led by the false prophet in the tribulation period who will convince the world to worship the Antichrist and secondly, to receive his mark. Now, all sorts of questions plague our minds. The first one is, what is the mark of the beast? The second one is, when will the mark of the beast 
be implemented? And third, what happens if you receive the mark of the beast? Those are questions that plague, that has literally plagued the minds of humanity ever since the day that John received this vision around 95 AD on the island of Patmos. And so I will confess to you that I don't have all the answers because most of the so-called answers in, in our generation, previous generations, has been pure speculation. But I want to share with you seven facts about the mark of the beast that I can stand on and dogmatically share with you to try to answer these three questions. And then I want to give you an eighth thought about what I believe the mark of the beast is. As we read verses 11 through 18, as we think about in verse number 16, the Bible says he causes all, remember that means he moves them to action, the word calls. He causes everybody, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, that means all classes of society. There is no distinctions here. Does it matter if you're wealthy? Does it matter if you have a net worth of $760 million or you have a net worth of $76. <laughs> Doesn't matter. If you're in prison or you're free. But he says to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. Now, other, later in the book of Revelation, it speaks about a pawn. So most likely what it means here is a mark on the right hand or a mark on the forehead. And this mark is, is, in verse 17, it says that no man's going to be able to buy or sell unless you have this mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And then it says in verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 603 score and six, another 666. So here's seven facts I want to just walk through very rapidly with you. The first one about this identification of the mark of the beast is, is this. The mark of the beast will be instituted in the tribulation period during the reign of the Antichrist. It's pretty simple. I think we can rule a lot of things out. You know, all throughout our, our, at least when we've been alive, just think about all the things that people have called the mark of the beast. It's been the social security number. It's been the barcode. It's been a microchip. And in recent years, it's been a vaccination. So what, what we're going to do is I'm going to walk through this passage and these seven facts, and what we're going to do is we're going to rule everything out. And here's what I want you to understand is, listen to this story. I heard, heard of a story of a guy who, who went to a bar where he really shouldn't have been. He was drinking things he should not have been drinking. And he got so drunk, he went to a tattoo parlor and got a barcode tattooed on his forehead. And he went and asked the pastor, he said, hey, pastor, have I received the mark of the beast because I got a tattooed of a barcode on my forehead? These are the kind of questions that have plagued humanity. But the, the, the only logical answer is no, of course, he didn't receive the mark of the beast. The first one is the mark of the beast will be instituted in the tribulation period during the reign of the Antichrist. But now verse 17, the mark of the beast, secondly, will be required for anyone to buy or sell. Okay? So in order to buy or sell merchandise, in order to walk into a store, in order to go to Walmart, if there's a Walmart of that day, or a Kroger, if there's Kroger of that day, or wherever it is, you have to have this mark on your right hand or on your forehead, or you can't buy or sell. 
Thirdly, the mark of the beast will be required to pledge one's allegiance to and worship to the Antichrist. The mark of the beast will be required to pledge one's allegiance to and worship the Antichrist. We see that in Revelation chapter 14, Revelation 15, 16, 19, and 20. All throughout, and even right here in chapter number 13. In the same context of the mark of the beast is in verse 15, how everybody is going to bow down and worship him. And listen, he wants, the Antichrist is a pseudo-Christ. He is trying to take the place of the real deal, Jesus Christ, and he is demanding everybody to worship him. And he's saying, hey, you either worship me or die, and you have to pledge your allegiance and loyalty to me and receive my mark, or I'm going to kill you. Okay? Number four. So far, the mark of the beast will be instituted in the tribulation period during the reign of the Antichrist. It will be required for anyone to buy or sell. It will be required to pledge one's allegiance to and worship the Antichrist. But then fourthly, the mark of the beast will somehow be connected to the number 666. The mark of the beast will somehow be connected to the number 666. Now, when you read verse number 18, notice the words, here is wisdom. It's like John is giving us a proverb here as he did in other places in the book of Revelation. Like earlier, in fact, in this chapter, in verse number 9, it says, if any man have an ear, let him hear. And then he gives us a proverb. And here he's given us a proverb, and it says, let him that has understanding count the number of the beast. And his number is 666. Now, there's been a lot of chit-chat and a lot of talk from everybody from the, from the History Channel to seminaries to universities. Everybody all over the world has talked about this verse and this number. And I'm just going to share with you what I think it means. I think it is the number of mankind. That's all I think it means. And I think that this number is going to be associated with the Antichrist in the tribulation period and his mark, and that everybody in that generation will clearly know this number will be identified as part of him, and they'll know that, hey, this is the mark of the beast. And so understand this, that the number seven is the number for completion. The number six is the number for man or imperfection. And so here, what I think is going on, if, if, if it was the number 777, it will be the number of absolute perfection. But here it's the number 666. In other words, the number of imperfection. And so we see that, that no matter the efforts of this Antichrist, he will never measure up to the perfect son of God. Now, I will just share with you that many have tried to go back in time and, and, be, and say that, well, the name Nero adds up to 666. And in fact, what people have tried to do over the years is they try to take people's names, whether it's a politician or whether it's a king or a queen or whoever, pretty much somebody they don't like, and they try to take their name and they like to name, well, his first name has six letters, the second name has six letters, and the third name has six letters. And I want you to know that is pure speculation. Notice this is a proverb. It says, here is wisdom. This is just the number of a man. But this number will be associated with the Antichrist. So, that brings us to verse number 16. The mark of the beast will be placed upon the right hand or on the forehead. The mark of the beast will be placed on the right hand or on 
the forehead. That is in Revelation 13, 16, Revelation 14, 9, and Revelation 24. So, just because of all this recent chat, maybe you've, maybe you've been scrolling on Facebook and you saw these crazy quacks get up and say, you know, not to take certain medications because it's the mark of the beast. Let me just remind you that the mark of the beast doesn't go into the side of your arm. It goes on your hand or on your forehead. But then in verse 15, anyone who refuses the mark of the beast will be killed. That's number six. That's the sixth fact about the mark of the beast. Anyone who refuses the mark of the beast will be killed. Of course, except for the 144,000, we know that those are going to be sealed and sovereignly and providentially and, and gloriously protected from all of this. But many people are going to be martyred because they refuse to bow and worship the Antichrist and refuse to pledge allegiance and loyalty to him and refuse to exclusively worship him. And then the question is, what happens if you receive the mark? What, what happens if you accidentally receive the mark? Anyone who receives the mark, number seven, will receive the judgment of God. I don't think it's going to be an accident that people receive this mark as we think about, oh, I went to the bar and I got plastered and I got a tattoo on my forehead with the barcode. You don't have to worry about that. It will be clearly known, and, and in fact, if our understanding of prophecy and, and the Bible about eschatology and end times is correct, praise God, we're not going to be here. So we don't have to be concerned about it. And that leads me to this thought, and I, I wanted to share those seven facts with you before I shared what I believe about the mark of the beast, just to drive this point home. This is lengthy, so if you want the statement, I'll be happy. If you want my notes today, I'll be happy to send them to you. The mark of the beast is a badge of servitude placed upon the right hand or forehead which pledges one's allegiance to exclusively worship the Antichrist and his image without which one cannot buy or sell and will be killed. Let me say it again. The mark of the beast is a badge of servitude placed upon the right hand or forehead which pledges one's allegiance to exclusively worship the Antichrist and his image without which one cannot buy or sell and will be killed. So you see how the false prophet's going to use this identification? He's going to use the idea of, of loyalty to the leader, an idea of commerce, and he's going to drive this stake home. Remember what I shared with you earlier that the false prophet of our day preys on two weaknesses, physical ailments and poverty. What is the false prophet of this generation going to prey on? He's going to prey on three things. In fact, government that we know of will be absolutely shattered. Government won't have the answers to the problems of the world of that day. Religion will be shattered. Religion won't have the answers to the world's problems of the tribulational period. And then e economics. Economy won't have the answers to the problems of that day. And so they'll turn to the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will have the problem, the, so the solution to all the problems. He says we need a one world government. He says we need a one world economy. And we need a one world religion. So you pledge allegiance and loyalty to my government. You worship me and me alone. And you can only use my currency. 
And the false prophet will be teaching this and persuading and convincing all of humanity to bow down to the Antichrist. What I found so interesting as I've studied this passage is the concept of branding. You know, today we have brands. If you go to Walmart, you either buy the really expensive brand or you buy Walmart's brand. <laughs> you either go to Kroger and you buy, you know, the extremely expensive brand or you buy the Kroger brand and get it for like half off. Well, branding is nothing new. We've just gotten a little bit more sophisticated of how we brand. In fact, throughout history, branding was a symbol and mark placed upon pieces of property. They would take steel and they would put it in fire and they would heat steel up and they would place it upon the animal so that they could have a clear mark of who owned that animal. And then as slavery began to arise and throughout history, this is something that, that you can go back to the biblical times and the ancient world and even all the way up to just a couple hundred years ago, and in fact, I'm sure it's still alive today, that they would take upon slaves, human beings who were essentially treated as property, and they would take the same kind of thing and they would place brands on them to declare that they are owned by somebody else. I found it interesting as I was reading all this stuff that in the North American colonies of the 17th and early 18th centuries, so the 16 and 1700s, branding was a common punishment for those who found guilty of crimes. The type of brand differed from crime to crime. Men and women sentenced for adultery were branded with a letter A on their chest, a letter D for drunkenness, and a letter B for blasphemy or burglary. The letter T on the hand for theft, and SL on the cheek for seditious libel. And the letter R on the shoulder for rogue or vagamon. And letter F on the cheek for forgery. Those convicted of burgling on the Lord's day were branded upon their forehead. Brands and marks have always been a part of humanity. And I find it interesting that when we think of this word mark here in the Bible and book of Revelation, it occurs a lot of times, or a few times in the Bible, but the only other time it occurs outside of the book of Revelation in connection to the mark of the beast is in the book of Acts. And it speaks about a graven image. They would carve things on a graven image. So I think the message here that we need to leave away with today is God has his mark on his people. In fact, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6 that he had the marks of, the, of Christ on him. In other words, that, that, that he was a marked target for the enemy's attacks, and so will you be. Can I close with this thought? We often think about the unforgivable sin. In the days of Christ, the unforgivable sin was rejecting Christ as Messiah and attributing his works to being done in the power of Satan. The unforgettable sin of our day is rejecting Christ as Messiah and refusing to make him Lord and Savior of your life. And the unpardonable sin of the day of the tribulation is receiving the mark of the beast and refusing to exclusively worship Jesus Christ as God. You see, deception 
is alive and well. But it's only setting the stage for the greatest deception the world has ever seen. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.